It's the final days of six-year no-interest financing at Palo Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. Upgrade that leaky, squeaky patio door from just $84 a month. Set your free consultation now at 855-PALA-WI. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Well, not this year. Historically, the deadest sports day of the year is the Wednesday, the day after the Major League Baseball All-Star Game, because there's almost nothing going on in the world of professional sports. I mean, you don't you don't have football training camp that started. Typically, you know, the NBA isn't playing. The hockey season is over. Baseball is taken off. There's no the golf tournaments start on Thursday. So that that Wednesday is typically dead, just absolutely dead. But not this year, because what's going to be going on on Wednesday? Oh, yes, it's going to be game four of the NBA Finals, the Bucks and the Phoenix Suns, and the Bucks have a chance to get right back in it. And I will tell you, whatever the sporting world is going to look like on Wednesday, the word dead is not going to be it. Um, I tell you, after that big win yesterday and really a good, strong basketball game, you know the Deer District is going to be hopping. You know the Bucks are going to be motivated. I, I don't know. I still haven't figured out whether I think they're a better team than Phoenix or vice versa. But it's it was a big win yesterday. It was fun to watch. It's great for the city that you have, you know, people that are coming in. It looks like it's just so very cool down at the Deer District. And and there's no question about this. And I want to I, I want to say this at the beginning. Like I say, I, I don't know how this this series is going to turn out, but this has been a great run. And I understand that there's some people who are going to be really, really disappointed if the Bucks don't win. And that's fair. I, I get that disappointment. But at the same time, if you look at the big picture, a lot of great stuff going on in the sports world around here. You've got the Bucks who are in the NBA Finals. The Brewers, despite a couple tough losses over the weekend, still go into the All-Star break with a four-game lead and are poised, assuming they don't completely fall on their faces, to, to make the playoffs. And you've got Packers training camp that starts at the end of the month. This is a great time. And, you know, Wednesday, I think there's going to be a lot of people that are just sort of marking time for the next couple of days going, okay, it's Monday. You know, when when does the game start on Wednesday? And by the way, you can hear that game on WTMJ. So check it out. Okay. Let us get started. One of the things that we've talked about a lot over the course of the last year and a half has been getting kids back into school. I think almost everybody would agree that that remote learning, if not a complete disaster, has been an unsuccessful alternative for most kids. Not all kids, and I understand maybe your child has thrived with the remote learning, but that's that's not the case for most kids. And I think most school districts should recognize that. So now we've got, we're here in July, schools start late August, early September, and so now we're trying to figure out what what is going to happen. The Center for Disease Control has issued new school guidance, and this has just come out last week, with the emphasis on on reopening. And the CDC is saying, first of all, we got to get kids back into classes. I mean, they, they recognize that the months and months of virtual learning has caused the vast majority of kids 
to to suffer. They're they're underperforming, and I don't think anybody, like I say, should argue about that. Secondly, the CDC says vaccinated teachers and vaccinated students do not need masks inside school buildings. That's what the CDC guidance says. And many, many schools around Wisconsin are going to be reopening following that basic premise that, first of all, you know, if the teachers are vaccinated, they don't need to wear masks. And secondly, if the students are vaccinated, they do not need to wear masks. On top of that, if you look at the numbers, we also know that for children in general, I mean, COVID does not pose the risk that it does to say, you know, 70 year old people. Um, for example, I mean, I'm looking at a story in the Wall Street Journal the other day and the headline is it's 98 degrees out. Why is my child wearing a, a mask? And it's written by somebody who's just talking about how they, they send their kid to, to school and to like summer school and they're told that they have to wear a mask and they, they don't get it. Um, you know, we know though that children are not major carriers of the virus. We know that schools and child care centers aren't drivers of community spread. And I think that's one of the things that's been told. We also know that the chances of children um, either dying or become seriously ill from COVID-19 are extremely low. And the, ch- the child mortality rate is much lower than what public health officials had initially suspected. So in other words, while nobody wants to get COVID, if, if kids get it, it's generally not that big a deal. And that's that that's just kind of the reality. And so the CDC is saying, okay, first, if you're vaccinated, you don't need to wear masks in the school setting, teachers and, and students. Then the other question is, even if you're not vaccinated, since it really doesn't spread in the school setting, is there any reason for it? Well, into this wades the Milwaukee public school system. And uh, the president of the Milwaukee School Board, who is also formally associated with the union, said the district, this is MPS, the district still plans to require masks indoors for everyone in the fall. So teachers, if you have been vaccinated, you have to wear masks. Students, if you have been vaccinated, you have to wear masks. They say we're going to continue to monitor local health data, but right now the current policy remains in force. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, maybe we can debate whether or not unvaccinated students and teachers should still have to wear masks in the classroom. All right, maybe we can have that debate. But seriously, once you have been vaccinated, is there any reason why a teacher or why a vaccinated student should have to wear masks when they're going back to school? And my answer would be no. 855-616-1620, that's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? We discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right. For the, for the better part of the last year plus, we've been told, follow the science. Follow the science. Follow the science. So, okay, that's fine. Now the CDC says when it comes to reopening schools, teachers and students who have been vaccinated do not need to wear masks. That's what they have said. 
And so that is the science. We're doing what the CDC says. But there are a number of school districts in the state, including and starting with MPS, that says, nope, our, our policy is regardless of you, whether you have been vaccinated or not, regardless if you are a teacher or a student, you will have to wear a mask when we return in September. I think that that's ridiculous. 855-616-1620. I mean, what, what about following the science? And by the way, if you have been vaccinated and you still want to wear a mask, well, that, that, there's no problem with that. But this mandate that you do, where does that come from? And on top of that, if, if we're trying to get people to get vaccinated, and now we're trying to persuade people who are otherwise perhaps a little reluctant to do it, wouldn't wouldn't one of the carrots that you hold out be, hey, look, you know, if, if you know, if you're if you're a high school senior. All right. And, and you don't want to sit in the, the classroom wearing a mask. OK, here, here's the thing. Get yourself vaccinated. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be an incentive? Now we're saying, well, we want you to get vaccinated. But even if you get vaccinated, we're, you're, you're still going to be treated as if you weren't vaccinated. 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, I think this policy is completely ridiculous. Jeff, I have no problem with unvaccinated kids continuing to wear masks in school because whether or not they personally don't get seriously ill, every spread of the virus, etc. And I don't fault MPS for taking the safe approach. All right. Well, I mean, here, here, here's the deal. It's not the safe approach. It is the timid approach that doesn't reflect the state of science. You can't have it both ways. You can't say follow the science. You can't say we encourage you to get vaccinated because that's essentially going to make it extremely statistically unlikely that you're going to get COVID or alternatively that you're going to have a bad result from COVID. And, and by the way, if you look at the numbers, kids don't have, as a general rule, statistically that bad a reaction regardless. But nobody wants to get it. I understand. But you you can't have it both ways. You can't say we want you to get vaccinated because you're going to be protected. But if you are vaccinated, um, it's not going to be this. Um Jeff, uh, they require a mask or what? What if the parents say no? Well, I assume that the parents are, um, assume that in that case the kid gets sent home. Jeff, the Mequon Public School is expecting to mandate masks for unvaccinated kids as well. They follow the CDC and local health department 100% with no debate of any variance. There's actually a move afoot to require, to recall four current members of the Milwaukee Thienesville School Board. It's, we'll talk about it at some point in time. Um, number of parents are extremely upset with the school superintendent and some of the quote-unquote anti-science policies that they, they think have been adopted up in Mequon. And again, right now, I, I'm only talking about the rule that said the teachers and kids who are vaccinated still have to wear their masks. Like I say, you can have an other discussion about whether or not it makes sense to just let everybody come in unmasked. But but right now, if you, as far as I'm concerned, if you can prove that you are vaccinated, I think that, you know, it, it should be a no-brainer. Then you can show up and you don't have to wear a mask. 855-616-1620. Uh, Jeff, I'm just happy they're back to in-person learning. Well, that's a, that's a good thing. Of course, the related thing is in a number of school districts, they're still offering remote learning for some, which makes no sense of that at all. Jeff, so am I glad my kids were back in school all year. Um, Kettle Moraine teachers are awesome. Unvaccinated kids were not wearing masks for the last weeks of school. There wasn't a spike. 
MPS might be the only ones. I can't see them being mandatory, especially in school districts that voted not to wear them last year. Well, there's an element of that. Jeff, at least two things are wrong with this. Number one, cloth masks without social distancing were never that effective. And um, and they, they go on to talk about some other stuff. I, again, I don't even want to have the mask debate about whether or not it's effective or not. I'm just saying, why don't we follow the science? And doesn't the science tell us that, you know, once you've been vaccinated, you don't need this? Jeff, this is another example of where the minority rules and the people that choose to not get vaccinated are calling the shots, pun intended. Good luck getting people to wear masks when they're already fully vaccinated. Well, that's kind of my attitude as well. Jeff, I don't think there's any reason to wear a mask, period. We have an immune system for a reason. I don't want to revisit the mask argument. And I, I, I understand that there's some people who always believe that masks have been not as effective as they've been built. I don't want to go down that route. I think I think we're we are in fact past it. Like I say, I also think you need to acknowledge the science that among kids, COVID with some exceptions, but but COVID isn't the risk that it is to people who are 70 and 80 years old. But but nevertheless, I, I agree that you want to kind of stop the spread. I don't have a problem with that, but I, I do have a problem with requiring masks for people who are, in fact, vaccinate, uh, vaccinated. Um, Jeff, there's no reason to wear a mask, in my opinion, as well. Jeff, um, when will the airlines remove the stupid rule? By the way, how does eating and drinking on a flight stop the spread? Well, that's the... Um, that's the situation as well. Jeff, if this policy was in effect 60 years ago, would you still have to be in an iron lung after getting the polio vaccine? Well, again, this is a different time. This is different than than polio. But um, the bottom line of this is follow the science. Let's talk to Dennis in Chicago. Dennis, you're on WTMJ. Hey, Jeff. Hi, Dennis. Um, I think when you say follow the science, I believe that covid is such a moving target that the best the CDC can do is guess the future on scientific data, which means that they're telling people to wear masks because if they're wrong, no harm done. Well, no, but the CDC is telling people not... No, but the CDC is the one that's saying vaccinated people in schools don't need to wear masks. I mean, shouldn't we listen to the CDC? Yeah, uh, well, and, and in my own personal opinion, I, I think they might be wrong because if you're vaccinated, you can still get the virus and there, you can still shed the virus. I understand that it's one in thousands, but well, like I said, if they're wrong, no harm done. If they're right, well, well, but, they, but, they can save lives. Well, Dennis, I'm sorry, but you, you, you can't pick and choose then. Then, then you're not following the science. You, you know, you, you can't pick and choose this way. You know, if, if for the last 11 months we were saying, OK, the CDC says you need to wear masks indoors. OK, if you're not vaccinated, that, that's fine. And, and I've listened to this for the better part of a year. All right. Now the CDC says if you're vaccinated, you don't need to wear masks indoors. You don't need to wear them in a school setting. OK, now I, I respect it. You can say, well, they could be wrong and, and I want to continue to wear a mask, to which I say, go with God. If that's how you want to do it, fine. I don't have an issue with that, but that's di- but let's understand you are not following the science. You are deciding that you think the CDC is being too risky. All right. Oh, OK. You think you're deci- you're deciding the CDC is being irresponsible. You think that you're arguing that the CDC is is wrong. 
Okay, that that's all okay. You get to make those calls, and that's why you can wear a mask and you can wear a hazmat suit. You can do whatever you want. You can not go out. That that's fine. But if we're going to follow the science, if that is the rule, all right. Don't we have to decide? Can we then pick and choose which science we want to follow? And my answer would be no. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. And, of course, one of the big issues is going to be, you know, we were talking about MPS and some of these school districts that have now decided, in my opinion, that they're going to be anti-science, that they're going to ignore the various rules and requirements. Okay, we're going to follow the CDC rules, except when we're not going to follow the CDC rules. Um, you know, that's that's kind of the bottom line. And I understand there's some people who are just uncomfortable with this, and there's some people who, you know, are convinced that, that COVID is the new bluebonic plague and it's going to be with us forever and that we have to permanently change our behaviors. And if you feel that way, that's fine. Then you're welcome to permanently change your behavior. The interesting thing is going to be, to me, not just in the high school, schools, not just in the grade schools, but what do we do moving forward with the colleges? Um, some colleges have already said in universities that they are going to require vaccinations when they, in fact, reopen. Others have said that they're not going to have those requirements. Some are saying, well, if you want to stay in the dorms, you, you need to be vaccinated. At some point in time, I think we're going to get to the point where I think most places are going to say that we're, we're going to move on and that people are going to be assuming the risk. Then that is the risk being if you've chosen not to get vaccinated, you've got to understand that you've got a higher risk of getting COVID than somebody that has statistically a much greater risk of that. At the same time, for most people, particularly most younger people, your chance of having a bad outcome as a result of COVID is not statistically that great. At some point in time, I, I think collectively as a society, we're going to get past all this and we're going to have people just assuming the, the various risks. And that is a part of the way that we're going to ultimately get to the herd immunity, because I don't think we're going to get through it to just vaccinations. But look at what happens on college campuses as well. Bottom line is, if, if you're in schools and you're vaccinated, all right, why don't we just follow what the CDC says and says that you don't need to wear a mask when you go back? Is that too much to ask? Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. I did not get the roller coaster gene in our family. My, my brother did. My, my brother loves roller coasters. It, his and it, that that gene has been passed down to my niece and nephew. You know, we'll be in Florida at like Universal Studios, and Universal Studios has the Incredible Hulk roller coaster where you, you take off, and then within sixty seconds you're at like sixty miles an hour, and you're upside down. I watch this, and my niece or nephew will say, "You know, Uncle Jeff, do you want to go with us?" And I'll say, "No, come on." I say, "No, I, I have, I just, I have no desire to be, you know, upside down within a few seconds. It's just the Incredible Hulk roller coaster. No, I mean, I'll, I'll do some of the rides, but I am not that roller coaster guy. Years and years ago, I was on Space Mountain. And I understand Space Mountain is is a tame roller coaster, but I, you know, I, I made a deal with God that if he or she gets me off that roller coaster alive, I, I'm not going on." another one so that then and i i have i have stayed true to that it's just i don't get it have have no have no desire to do that i have friends who are private airplane enthusiasts by that i mean they love to fly 
and they, they enjoy it immensely. And I have been up in planes with them. In some cases, if you need to get somewhere, like, for example, Wisconsin's a very big state, and it just... It's a lot easier if you have somebody, for example, if, if you got to go from Milwaukee out to La Crosse or, you know, up to the, the North Woods or to, to Bayfield County or whatever, it, it's, you know, driving takes you hours. You can hop in the plane and you can be there in an hour. So sometimes you just absolutely need to do it. I will do that. You know, I will do it if I have to get somewhere and I've got somebody that will fly me. But I will be honest with you, it's it's not fun. I'm not necessarily a white-knuckle flyer, but I. some people get in the airplane and they just go, oh, my God, this is the greatest thing in the world and you're soaring and stuff. I, I'm not. I'm kind of like, okay, fine. You know, here here we are. We're, we're flying and we'll get there, but I just don't share it. But that's just me. Don't have the roller coaster gene, which is why I was so intrigued by this story over the weekend. If you haven't seen it, um, Richard Branson who is, you know, one of the billionaires that's floating around. He has been dedicated to trying to develop, um, you know, personal vacation space travel. And so um, what happened is over the weekend, I mean, yesterday about 940 in the morning, there was a plane called the VMS Eve that, you know, took off carrying something called Unity, which was like a spacecraft. About 45 minutes later, a red flare was visible in the sky when the spacecraft was released from the plane and fired its rocket, sending Unity sending up. Shortly after that, the spacecraft had reached space. And, you know, then for about 15 minutes, people were in orbit. And you can see like a handful of people, if you've seen these videos, they're floating around, weightless in, in the cabin. Ultimately, it, it comes down and it, it, it lands. And so this was viewed as, as a, as a success. At the peak of this, it was a 15 minute trip after separating from the launch aircraft. You know, you'd see people that were enjoying this. Branson says, we're here to make space more accessible to all. And this was the first in what is potentially, you know, a, a whole new business venture. There's another people, another couple companies that are out there that are spending an enormous amount of money trying to develop businesses that can ultimately carry hundreds of people a year. Um, Amazon company founder Jeff Bezos has been investing in his space company, which is called um, Blue Origin. And on July 20th, there's plans that this is going to take him and three others into suborbital space. Um, there, there's others as well that are that are there. So this is kind of like the, the future. We're going to charge people a lot of money, certainly a lot of money at first, and we're going to take them in space for you know a relatively limited amount of time, and then we're going to bring them back to where they started. Our number eight five five six one six one six twenty. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now there are all sorts of places in this big wide world that I have not seen that I that I want to see. Um, about two months from now, we're, we're scheduled. We're doing a listener trip to to Paris, and then we're going to go to Normandy. I desperately want to see Normandy, where the D-Day invasion was. There's all sorts of places in the world that I am intrigued by. I am not. When if you would ask me what my interest level is on a scale of one to a hundred, with you know. 
be going up into space and being weightless for a few minutes and then coming back down to where you started. My my response would be on a scale of one to a hundred, with one hundred being I can't wait. I'm going to uh, close out the four hundred one k plans, take second mortgages on the house, and spend whatever I need to do to get me up into space. And one being eh, no interest at all. I got to admit, I'm probably about a one. 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, from vacation travel, would you? do you have a desire to go into space? And would you spend a, a large amount of money for the opportunity to be up into the suborbital world for, you know, a, a period of time and then come back down where you started? Would you pay for this experience and how interested would you be? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Now, I'm sure as I try to look at this business model, I'm sure that there are some people out there who would think, okay, this is, this, this would be kind of cool to do. My question is, are there enough of those people to really make this a viable sort of operation? 855-616-1620, we discuss in a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Okay, so yesterday, company um, owned by Richard Branson, who's a billionaire, they, they did what their test flight for their, their space tourism. They, they went up into space, um, flew for about 15 minutes in suborbit. Everybody was weightless. They declared it a success. Virgin Galactic, that's the company. Um, they say it plans to initiate paying passenger space flights in 2022. The company has reported 600 reservations for future flights. Um, and they say they have eight, $80 million in deposits. People have put the money down on this. Now, last year, the company reported a loss of $273 million, but, but they're committed. They're, they're big into the, what they call the space tourism industry. Now, they haven't said what they're going to charge for tickets when they start selling them, but um, to give you an idea, they, the company has at least initially sold tickets for as much as $250,000 each according to its latest annual report. Now that's that's to be the that's to be first. I, I get it. That's to be first. So, I mean, chances are the prices are going to come down. So if you want to be, you know, in in line and you want to be up on the plane for this 15-minute ride or whatever to be weightless, you know, it is probably not going to cost you $250,000, but you know, 200 grand, 150 grand, you can do a lot of stuff with that. 855-616-1620. Let's start with Jim. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Good afternoon. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for taking my call. Hi, Jim. So as part of my daughter's third grade science project, we decided to send a weather balloon with a GoPro camera attached to it to space. So we spent $700 to do that. So if I had a million dollars, I would spend that to go to space. Okay. What about 250000 I mean, if you had to, so if you had 250000 just lying around, you, you, you'd do it. One hundred percent. I asked my wife if we could take a second mortgage. And she was somewhat cool to that idea. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I've gotten that look before. It's that that look that all I've always described this is that all women learn from their mothers that I married a moron look. But yeah. So tell me what the appeal is, Jim. What 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 is it? Again, if it were something that would be affordable, even if you had to push, what is the appeal to you of going into space? 
I've just always been fascinated by it, and that's why I kind of wanted to get somewhat of a view of space. Right. Um, that's why we did the weather balloon project, and we got that to about 95,000 feet uh-huh. and got some pretty cool footage. So if I could do it myself, um, I think just to see the world from that viewpoint, I would absolutely spend it. Good enough. Thanks for calling. I appreciate it. And, and again, it's a matter of individual taste. I mean, I don't, I don't tell people not to go to Disney World and spend money, but this is this is kind of a different thing. Like I say, it, this is just one that has no appeal to me at all. Just no, I have no interest a, at all about about doing this it's like all right i guess could it be cool to be weightless well you can there's all sorts of things that you could do the if you want to go into weightless rooms you could find that now jeff my interest would be a minus five jeff would this be another example of the phrase you use god telling aspiring space tourists that they have too much money well you know maybe that's the old george carlin line that that god's uh, robin williams line that uh, god's way of cocaine is god's way of telling you that you have too much money that this could be a, another example of that gee i've got a quarter million dollars lying around and here i'm i'm going to take it for this 15 minute ride just to say that i i did it jeff um my response to this would be no thank you for me i will stay safely on the planet earth jeff i would have to have uh, in my sunset months and fully sponsored for me to do this until then i think it's too pricey and it's too scary jeff my interest would be let's see a a negative 10. Jeff, no, no, heck no. I don't even like to fly on commercial planes. I want to keep my butt on the ground. Well, I, I'm sort of like that. I'm not a white knuckle flyer. And, and I understand that to, to get to one place to the other, you, you gotta, you gotta fly. So I'm, I'm comfortable with doing that. But at the same time, I'm just, I have, I have no desire to go into orbit. Jeff, mark me down for a negative five as well. Um, Jeff, at the rate that the government is handing out stimulus checks, every family should be able to afford a space trip in a few years. Eh, there you go. Jeff, if I'm lucky enough to reach 85 years old and still have a quarter million dollars left, I will go and live out the rest of my life in poverty um well you've got that um there's always that element that's um out there as well i i just obviously the people that are doing this think that there's a a market for it and and let's face it i mean a quarter million dollars is going to be beyond the reach of of most people but i can you is there a price point where for that that one day trip it appeals to people of above average means. And, and what would that be? Would it be $100,000? Would it be $50,000? Would it be $5,000? Would it be $10,000? And, and we're, we are talking about something on the cutting edge here. Typically, you know, the people that bought those, I mean, I, I'm old enough to remember when you when they first came out with the big screen TVs, which were these heavy things that weighed several hundred pounds and, you know, they, they cost, you know, several thousand dollars. I mean, like eight, ten thousand dollars and people bought them. Well, I mean, now you can go out to one of the big box discount stores and you can find a perfectly serviceable, you know, big screen TV for under 500 bucks, sometimes even cheaper than that. So prices of things do come down and maybe commuter tourist space travel be one of them i guess even if this were more affordable um don't expect to see me standing in line you're not going to be fighting with me to get one of those first tickets that's all i will say um i'm going on the incredible hulk ride first and i think the chances of me going on the incredible hulk ride down at orlando is um universal studios in orlando is probably slim to none and slim is on that roller coaster heading out of town 
If this were a Trump kid, you know the mainstream media would be absolutely livid about it. Look, Hunter, Hunter Biden, in my opinion, and I've said this before, is, is a grifter who has, over the years, traded on his family name and family connections to enrich himself. Now, that, that that's not saying that dad was responsible for this or was co-opted or whatever, but, but the kid... Like I say, that the kid is, in my opinion, is a fast buck artist who has done all sorts of questionable things. Again, that that if his last name wasn't Biden, he he would not have gotten in the front door. But because it was, he he did. And and there's a for if you haven't been following this, there, there's another sort of I'm going to use the phrase scheme that's out there. Hunter Biden has now decided that he is an artiste, and so he's doing all the the he's doing paintings. And so he's cut this deal where Hunter Biden's paintings are subject to be auctioned off. They're going to be sold at auction in this New York auction house. And the prices for these paintings, and he's he's a relatively new artist. It's not like we're not talking Vincent Van Gogh. We're not talking Monet. We're talking Hunter Biden. And the prices that are going to be set for his paintings are starting at like 75,000 up to half a million dollars. Okay, what? What's wrong with this picture? Well, it's obvious that if you want to try to gain influence with the Biden family, here here's what you do. You go out, you spend stupid money on, you know, one of the these paintings that Hunter Biden has done. You pay a quarter million, you pay a half a million dollars or whatever. That's money that goes into Hunter Biden's pocket. And, you know, at least it, it opens the door of, all right, is this... You know, once you find out that, um, okay, uh, Mr. Businessman or Mr. Whatever has, has just funneled the kid a quarter million or half a million dollars to buy a, a painting, that it is difficult to decide what the objective value of this is. Has he essentially paid off the kid to get access to the family? Now, maybe you could say, no, there, there's there's no questions here. But let's face it, th- th- this, this whole deal kind of stinks. And I understand that presidential kids have a right to make money. That, that's not the issue. But he's not an artist. This is sort of like saying, okay, I, I've now written this book, and here we're going to have people just, just give me large sums of money for this. Now, the, the solution to this that the White House is coming up with is saying, okay, it, it'll be a blind auction. We won't... We won't ask the auction house who it is that bids on the paintings, and we won't wink, wink, nod, nod. We won't tell Hunter Biden who it was that bought the paintings. So that this way, he won't know who it was that spent $400,000 to buy, you know, his painting of a soup can or, or whatever. So that, that won't create a conflict. Well, okay. It, there's a piece in the Wall Street Journal about this today. Hunter Biden's secret art sale. You won't believe what the White House thinks is an ethical solution. And, you know, it, 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 it's just like, OK, well, we're not going to let you know who bought it. Well, all right. Do you think that after somebody's paid half a million dollars for a painting, do you think somebody somewhere won't disclose that they've got that painting up on their wall? I mean, do you seriously not think that people are going to know who it was that purchased all these different paintings. Like I say, I, if, if this had been a Trump kid that was pulling off something like this, this would be a front page story on a daily basis about, you know, trying to enrich themselves, trading in on, on their name. And I, I got, I know during the campaign, some of you got mad at me because I, 
I did not rip on the significance of some of the other stuff that Hunter Biden had done by the year over the years, clearly trading on his name to to enrich himself, to get positions, to get jobs he otherwise wouldn't have even been considered for. But I, I didn't see how that reflected back on Biden. Right now, Joe Biden is the president of the United States. And you look at this plan selling essentially an unknown artist's stuff for extreme amounts of money, and the unknown artist happens to be the son of the President of the United States, this this has influence peddling, money laundering schemes written all over it. And I can't believe, and I, I basically, I think Joe Biden's an ethical guy. Mark the tape on that, I do. I can't believe the Biden administration isn't going to Hunter and saying, knock this off. You know, if you if you want to do this after dad leaves office, you know, fine. But the truth of the matter is, after dad leaves office, your paintings aren't going to probably be worth the canvas that they are painted on. Just saying. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. So, have you been stuck in the zipper? Yeah, here, here's the story. If, if, the, let me kind of back into this. Um, when I, if, if I take the, the freeway going home, Going north, I, I live to the north of, of our studios. So you get on the freeway and, and you go north. And if you can picture this on, on I-43 going northbound, right around Bayshore Town Center, Bayshore Shopping Center or whatever, you, if there, there's, there's a point where it goes from like three lanes, actually kind of four lanes because there's a, there's a merging lane, and it goes from three or four lanes down to two. And there is always, 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 there's, there's a backlog. That, that, that happens, and depending on what time of day it is, it, it, it can tell you, like, how bad the backlog is. And then, you know, once everybody, unless there's a collision or something like that, when, once you, you get through where it goes from three or four lanes down to two, then traffic typically moves quicker. But it, it's always a mess where it, it goes down to that. So one of the things that I, I routinely do is that when I get on on the freeway, I I always look for the opportunity because I know up ahead, this third lane, lane on the right, I know that that's going to disappear. So I look for the first opportunity I have to move over into what would be the center lane or the left lane. Because, like I say, once you get past this, there's going to be two lanes. So I'm, I'm trying to merge left as soon as I possibly can because I, I know that I'm going to lose the lane that I'm in half a mile ahead or a mile ahead or, or whatever. I'm, I'm trying to do that, which is what I, what I think is, is responsible driving. But I, I always acknowledge that it, it kind of frosts me then when I've now moved over and so I'm – I'm crawling along and I'm watching the cars on my right just drive all the way up to where they finally lose the lane and then kind of force them their way in. And inevitably, the, the people that are in that right lane that are going past all the rest of us are looking at us like we're chumps because, hey, you know, you, you moved over and, and now I'm going to go past you. Okay, so that, that's the, the kind of the nature of this. Well, that brings me to a conversation about the zipper merge. Now, there's a couple phrases that I, I if, if I never hear again in my life, I will be happy with. One would be polar vortex, and the other would be zipper merge. We, we heard a lot about this during the, the main zoo construction that went on. You know, the idea that you're going to lose a lane Instead of getting over as soon as possible, 
what you do is you go right up to the end and then people let you in alternately. So, you know, you, you, you don't move over once you see that the lane is closing. You stay in your lane until the very end and then you kind of, you know, people will will alternate and, and let you in. Now, that's what's going on. And if you listen to our traffic reports, you'll, you'll hear Debbie talking about, you know, the zipper merge because, you know, right now, um, again, around the zoo interchange, there's some more construction that's going on, and they are encouraging people to use the, the zipper merge. Um, DOT says that when the technique is used correctly, it can reduce traffic backups by 40%. So they're encouraging you to do that. Now, I was thinking about this when I, I stumbled across a story in the New York Times the other day. Road rage, zipper merging, and a stress-free path through traffic. You're approaching a construction zone, and a sign tells you the left lane will end several miles ahead. Traffic is heavy, but you see an opening, and you move to the right lane. As you inch along, drivers on your left keep zipping by. Miles ahead, you finally reach the mer- merge point, and the left drivers are making their move. Your pulse quickens. You pull up tight on the car in front of you and refuse to let anyone in. Are you in the right, or are you fortunate that nothing's escalated? In light traffic, the merge is easy, but moving over early when an opening first appears fails in moderate to heavy traffic where greater efficiency can be achieved by using both lanes as long as possible. Simple, right? Not at all. And so then big story about the zipper merge and how people react. Traffic experts will tell you that using the zipper merge does operate more efficiently. But that doesn't change the fact that for a lot of people, you think you're doing the right thing. The lane is going to end. You move over as quickly as you possibly can. And then you get passed by 50 or 60 cars who are now going to get ahead of you. Okay, our number is 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. It makes sense. The zipper merge, I, I understand that. But I guess, are you really now a chump? If you decide that you're going to move over as early as possible and for the people who do move over, when you see the folks that are driving by you, kind of what what's your reaction? I know the experts say, don't worry about getting over. Just wait till you get to the bottleneck and then kind of get in. Right. How does that work in real life? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Experts say, do the zipper merge. Get over as quickly as you can. Uh, wait until the last minute to get over. I'm sorry. I find it, I still find it difficult to do that. And I understand that maybe that's what the experts say. I guess I just still, I have trouble passing all these people up who've gotten over uh, in what I would say would be the responsible way. But I understand the experts say, you wait till the end, then you go in. Have you accepted the zipper merge? 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line we discuss in a moment. Back to Take Your Calls. Here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. 855-616-1620, which is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Jeff, too bad people don't turn. Everyone take turns. Everyone wants to be first. You, sir, though, are a chump for moving over too soon for seeing that the lane is going to end and trying to you know get over as soon as you possibly can and, and that i mean that the premise behind the whole zipper merge is is don't don't get over wait till the last minute and then 
people will supposedly alternate to let you in. Traffic planners say it operates more efficiently. I'm sorry, I still have trouble doing it because I guess I think it's rude. Jim in Hales Corners. Jim, you're on WTMJ. Well, Jeff, I'm a convert. I have to tell you, I used to be you. I used to be like you and uh, move over right away on the right hand side. And I used to uh, chastise in my mind the people that right. zip by me. But I, I fully embrace the uh, zipper, and uh, I, I, I have to confess that I, I, I'm a convert, and it, it works for me, and I think it works for everybody because. It opens up uh, more lanes uh, in the right-hand side. Otherwise, people will be way backed up, way back in the in the right-hand lane. Okay, so, so if you're sorry. in if you're in the lane that's going to end, you know, and you, yes. you see that the sign says, okay, the left lane ends in a mile, or right lane ends in a mile, or whatever, and that's the lane you're right. in. Are are yep. you, as a matter of course, you're going to take it up all the way to the end? Is that is it a matter of course? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I, and I, I, I'm a convert because I believe what the traffic engineers are telling us. So, yeah. forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. <laughs> well, thank, well, well, Jim, thanks for calling. If, if, if you're in trouble in the afterlife, I don't think it's going to be because of that. But I, I, I am in, intrigued by this because I, look, I, I, I understand this is what the traffic engineers say you're supposed to do. But I, I admit I have trouble doing this, um, not because it wouldn't be faster. I mean, it would be in my interest if I stayed till the end and then kind of, you know, got in it's more like i just i feel bad going past all these other people um jeff it seems not enough people are aware of the zipper merge process or they don't fully accept it often you will wait until the last minute to move into the lanes people don't get angry and don't want to let you in or they make an obscene gesture at you jeff i don't think it is it is not responsible as long as you're in a legal lane to drive whether you choose to merge early or you wait until you do you you do have a safe entry point to merge it sounds like a personal pet peeve to me that you're expressing well um it is a legal move okay i i get it i it it is a it is a legal move there's no question about it and the traffic engineers say you're supposed to do it i'm still not sure how many people though accept this and i admit i don't know if it's a personal pet peeve of mine or not i just have trouble passing people in a lane that i know is going to end jeff i move over early as i'm able to do just when the light goes a little bit to yellow i will break and wait for the next green right or not i am a pre-planner jeff i've tried the zipper merge uh, just recently and now that I understand it, it seemed to work better than when everybody tries moving over early. Only move over if you plan on getting off on an exit. Well, I, I mean, that's that's what the planners would tell you to do. Um, let's see, 855-616-1620. Um, Jeff, nice guys finish last. The backup will only be created earlier instead. Well, there is a backup. And by the way, if there's not heavy traffic, it doesn't really make much difference one way or the other because if there's only a few cars, you're you're not going to have a huge delay when you lose that lane. It's just for all the years I've been driving, my sense was always, okay, when you see the lane is going to end, you you get over as soon as you possibly can. Now we're being told, uh, don't do it. Jeff, I have converted as well. Um, your polite method creates undue tension for folks like you. Common sense, you just use all open lanes of traffic. Um, if folks are worried about manners, let them start using their turn signals. Well, I think that's a point, too. Well, I, I guess the, the question becomes, you know, what happens at that merge if 
people in my example, the the left hand lane and the center lane, that that they decide that they don't want to let the people who've run who are in that right lane that's now gone that they don't want to let them in. So then those people have to come to a stop. I understand in a perfect world. Well, in a perfect world, this all kind of goes by and everybody merges and, and life is great. Unfortunately, we, we don't live um, in, in a perfect world. Um, Jeff, and, uh, in Minnesota, they do this and, you know, it works out for, it works out for people. And again, I, I understand the theory of it. Jeff, the idea of the zipper merge is that there isn't an open lane where you're passing people. Both lanes should be used all the way to the merge, then take turns. Well, um, I don't know. I don't know that I think that that is the idea because a lot of times, I think, for, like I say, for drivers like me, when I see that a lane is ending, my response is as soon as I can safely get over, I'm going to safely get over. I'm not going to follow it all the way to where the lane ends and then you know hope that somebody's going to let me in. The DOT is saying that's what you do. So, I mean, obviously, I understand that that's the rules, um, you know, tough tough to follow that jeff the rules of the road which you should follow say use the zipper use all lanes as long as you can yep i understand that that's um i understand that that's the the thinking of this and i'm not saying that you need to make obscene gestures at the people that go by even though they're smiling at you and laughing because you're a chump because they're going to get a half a mile ahead of you it's what the rule is the question is, you know, how many people are following it and how many people are accepting it. But when you hear the zipper merge, it's back around here with a vengeance. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This may be an interesting message to send to some of the prominent politicians on the American left that apparently lost this this concept, and that is that Communism and or socialism does not work. And I understand that they're distinctive sort of things, but but they, they don't work. And latest example is what is going on in Cuba. Now, Cuba is an incredibly regressive communist nation, and it has been for a long time. What's happened over the weekend is that communist Cuba has seen the largest scale demonstrations in decades. Sunday, thousands of people chanting freedom. Yes, we can. Waving, wait for it, American flags took to the streets of Havana, took to the streets, other streets, you know, um, saying, look, we, we've had enough of this. And, you know, what's been going on in Cuba is, is Cuba has been decimated by COVID, like, you know, lots of places in the world has been, but they're, they're not close to getting a handle on it. You've had uh, the economic conditions in Cuba have been awful for years and years. Communism has not worked in that regard. What you have is, in addition to that, you've now had, apparently there, there's huge problems with power. You've had like rolling blackouts six hours a day on a regular basis. There's not enough food to eat. And finally, you have the, the Cuban people that are starting to rise up and say en- enough is enough. Now, the response to this is that the new president of Cuba, who succeeded Raul Castro this year as the first secretary of the Communist Party, he is now saying, OK, we're not going to put up with this. He's calling on Cuba's revolutionary citizens to take the streets. We are prepared to do anything. We will be battling in the streets. And he's blaming the United States for agitating the population. OK, well, well here's here's the bottom line on this. You do not need 
the United States to agitate the population. Living conditions in Cuba for decades have been nightmarish. And the amazing thing is how this totalitarian regime could have stopped the people of Cuba from, you know, rising up and overthrowing it in the first place, or at least demanding some degree of democratic reform to, you know, help, again, the the average Cuban citizen. And so uh, that appears to be ending. Um, one of the commentators, you know, says, look, this is pretty massive. The sense is there is a combination of social unrest based on lack of freedoms and COVID, economic conditions, the access, uh, lack of access to, elic- to electricity, blackouts. People are screaming for freedom. And, and what's so telling? Now, who knows what the Biden administration is going to do for, about this? I mean, the, the Biden administration candidly should be doing everything it can to encourage, I believe, that the people of Cuba to stand up and demand the fact that, you know, that they want some sort of form of democratic government instead of being held under the thumb of their communist regime. And, and this, this may very well be the opportunity for that to happen. But for everybody out there who over the years has kind of, you know, lost concept of what the true value of democracy is and with all the problems we have in this country, and Lord knows I know there's a lot of problems that we have, you know, I think it's easy to lose sight of, of how good we really do have it in this country. Um, you know, we, we have elected representatives, and we're, it's our process is not perfect. Believe me, I, I understand it is not perfect. I understand democracy sometimes can be ugly. But in general, our system works. I have always believed it, and I think it stands up to any other system across the world. And you're seeing this now play out in Cuba, where it appears that finally, at least some people have decided that enough is enough. Don't know how this is all going to play out, but it is definitely worth watching. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. So very glad to have you with us. I was speaking over the weekend to a friend of mine who owns um, some own some fast food restaurants or he's the franchisee on those and we were discussing and you know how's things going how's business going and again his what he was telling me was i think the common thing that if you talk to a lot of business owners he said the big problem is that they can't get people you can't get people to to work um at 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 the different places and if they do work and you hire them you know chances are maybe they show up for a couple days and then they they disappear and he was t- explaining to me that it's really, at least he didn't feel it was a question of, of the money that was being paid because, like, like my friend was telling me, they start, and they, they start kids, and these, these are, these are teenagers with no experience, first time jobs. They start them at between 10 and $12 an hour, and, and adults start like around 15 bucks an hour. So it's not, it's not like here, you're, you're, you're working for minimum wage. So they're, they're paying people for, and these are entry level jobs. This is not, this is not experience. This is just somebody that's going to, again, you know, flip the burgers. This is going to be somebody that's going to like work the drive through and things like that. It, it's not 
complicated work, but it's important work. And it's not like, again, you're paying somebody seven bucks an hour. He said, you know, well, you know if, if you're an adult, you know, you're, you're going to start at 12. And then we offer all these incentives. You know, well, we, you know, what we offer, like, a, if you're there for six months or something and you want, you know, what we'll give you a couple thousand dollars to put towards your education. There, there's, we will offer you a retention bonus. You know, we'll guarantee you a raise after 90 days, things like that. And so they offer all these different things and they still can't get people to work. I was thinking about this when I stumbled across a story in the Wall Street Journal the other day. Um, one of the things that employers are starting to do now to try to attract people is they are offering signing bonuses, typically like $1,000 and and up. Um, and this is for all sorts of industries, including like truck drivers and hotel cleaners and warehouse workers. Here's the deal. If you look at ZipRecruiter, which is one of the big websites where they, they post job openings, um, in March, about 2% of all the jobs that were posted on ZipRecruiter offered signing bonuses. Now, about one in five, 20% um, offered in June offered a signing bonus. Hiring bonuses start about $500 and quickly rise up from there. Wall Street Journal says job postings across all sectors show that a $1,000 hiring bonus is quickly becoming the norm in recruiting hourly workers who make between, in some cases, $1,650 to $25 an hour. They've got to offer bonuses to get somebody to apply for a job that pays $1,825 an hour. The $1,000 hiring bonus is average on jobs listed for groundskeepers at apartment complexes in Texas, movers in Florida, cabinet makers in Georgia, housekeepers in Wisconsin, pool cleaners in New Mexico, and welders in Ohio. And then it talks about how this has, for a lot of people who have been looking at the employment world for the longest time, this is one of the biggest changes they've seen, that you essentially have to offer people a cash bonus in order to get them to even consider applying for that job that's going to pay 16 bucks or 18 bucks or 20 bucks or even $25 an hour. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. All right, is this, is this enough? I mean, if you're looking for essentially an entry-level job and employers can't find them, all right, is, is even $1,000 going to be enough to induce somebody to, to go to work at your place? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. And I guess I, I ask this question because, I mean, I'm, I'm skeptical of this. I think there's something bigger going on in this, this country where maybe it's been caused by the pandemic. I, I don't know. But I think that there are people out there who are trying to do everything they possibly can to avoid going back to work. Now, as we've talked about it before, the, the, the government has made it easier to do that by, you know, essentially giving out, you know, large payments, additional unemployment benefits and things like that. But but I think there's just more and more people who are just flat out dropping out of the the economy, who've just decided that they don't want to work and they're going to figure out how to try to get by without working as long as they can. And I guess I don't know that I think I don't know if the job is 18 bucks an hour 
is is offering somebody a thousand dollar bonus is that going to be enough to get them to apply eight five five six one six one six twenty I understand employers are trying to do what they have to do to try to get bodies. I'm just not sure it's going to work, and I think that leads to a larger issue. Is a thousand bucks as a hiring bonus? Is that going to be enough to get people to apply for jobs? My answer is I don't think so. We discuss in just a minute. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. I also wonder how it works in in, in the real world. I mean, let's imagine that you you own a restaurant and you're you're desperate to try to get people to come in and and work for that restaurant and so you offer a thousand dollar hiring bonus well what do you do with the people that have been working for you through the 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 pandemic or or forget restaurant let's say you 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 own a grocery store and you know you've had the people and you can't get people to come in and be cashiers or to to stock the shelves or whatever and you say okay we to get new people in what we're going to do is we're going to offer you a thousand dollar bonus or or whatever What, what do you do how can you do that as a practical matter without then also looking at all the people who've continued to work for you during the pandemic and say okay well we're going to don't you have to give them a thousand dollars as well or or more i mean isn't there that kind of i was going to say trickle down it's actually a trickle up sort of thing 855-616-1620 but my larger question is for people who've avoided working and who've decided that hey i i I don't want to work even for 15 or 20 dollars an hour is an extra thousand bucks up front is that really going to make any difference let's start with dave in hartford hi dave you're on wtmj Hey, good afternoon, Jeff. What do you think? We, uh, we're out in Hartford here, and the market is really tight for employers to find people. We currently, for the last month, had a $5,000 hiring bonus, payable over a year, twelve fifty a quarter. We start at 21 to $24 an hour, and we've hired four people this month. Okay, so let me back this up. Okay, so it's 21 to $24 an hour, so we're not talking about minimum wage jobs. And the deal is twelve hundred bucks a quarter because obviously you don't want to give somebody five grand and then they'll show up the next day and then you have to try to get it back. So twenty one to right. twenty four dollars an hour, five grand over the course of the year, and you've only been able to get what did you say four people? Four people in this month. <sighs> wow. <laughs> There's other employers in our area that for second and third shift have five and seven dollar shift premiums. Right. And they're not getting anybody either. On top of twenty dollar plus an hour job, five and seven dollar premiums. Well, you know, the interesting thing, Dave, is, is see, when, when we talk about the, the, this hiring thing, I, I always hear from people who say, well, you, you don't understand. I mean, no, nobody wants to work for these, these minimum wage jobs and stuff that only pay eight or nine bucks an hour or whatever. You can't live on that. But but the real, I think, undercovered story is exactly what you're talking about. This problem with not being able to get people doesn't just apply to the eight or nine dollar jobs. It applies to you know jobs that are paying north of twenty dollars an hour and you can't find anybody to work at them either. It's completely entry level too. No skill needed at all. Right. All you have to do is be willing to to show up and to do whatever the job is, and you can't find people. Wow. Thanks for calling. I appreciate it. And and that's uh, again for everybody who says, "Well, okay, it's just it's just it's it's these crummy like like low paying jobs." No, it's jobs all across the board. Now, now many of them, like Dave says, are are entry level jobs, and I, I guess you know maybe there's 
while there is an integrity and an honor in a lot of these elect, uh, these um, entry-level jobs, I mean, they're, they're probably not the most glamorous jobs in the world. And, and my guess is, you know, that there, there's a degree, in some respects, you could argue that the job is sort of unpleasant, and, and maybe you're working in a hot factory or something like that, or, you know, maybe you're you're doing heavy lifting or things like that. But the, the lesson of this is they can't even do that, um, and they can't find people. Um, Jeff, hopefully Governor Evers is listening today. Well, I, I, the governor is already – look, the, the governor has decided that as long as there is, quote, unquote, free federal money that is going to be around, he's not going to say no to it. And whether or not that screws over employers in the state of Wisconsin and makes it more difficult for them to hire people, he doesn't care. But see, I th- th- there's a larger point here, and that is – I mean, forget the extra $300, you know, a week of, of unemployment that's going to last, I think, probably for people who are riding that gravy train that they'll be able to stretch it out for another, um, you know, month or two. But, but my question is, when, when this ends, see, I think we're, we're seeing maybe a generational type of change where you have people that have just flat out decided that they don't want to work and that they're going to do everything they can to try to figure out ways to avoid working and and that includes whether it's you know maxing out government benefits or or whatever it's they're going to try to avoid it because it, it can't be simply a well these are crummy jobs we don't want to work for nine dollars an hour because like dave says they can't find people that are working for 21 dollars an hour jeff my employer offers uh, $2,000 bonuses and gave their um, um, essential employees a wage increase of $1,100 a year. Most of us make over $20 per hour starting at 18, and the company wonders why the employees are upset or are looking around at new opportunities. Well, I, I think it, it's probably because, again, it, it's how much money can they come out with. Jeff, I'm in a skilled trade. I make $22 an hour. I've been here for 14 years. Now I'm mad that I'm hearing about these high-paying jobs. Um, yes, um, there, there's no question about that. Um, Jeff, my employers are willing to hire people over 60. It, it, Jeff, um, if employers are willing to hire people over 60, they'll have all the employees they want. Where my daughter works, if you walk in the door, she would swear it's a, geat- a geriatric sweatshop, but she has the best workers you want if you're willing to hire them. You know, it, it is kind of interesting, and this is an aside, but that's one of the things that I hear about, and it, it is in, it's illegal to do this. But it's one of these things that's extremely difficult to prove that it's happening. But it is kind of the the age discrimination. I can't tell you how many people that I hear of who are in their 50s and 60s who were downsized in the pandemic or, or whatever who want to get back in the workforce because they're they're not prepared to retire, they don't want to retire, they're not, you know, financially positioned to retire or whatever it is. And so they apply for jobs that might be quote unquote but beneath them. And when I say beneath them, I, I mean that they might be overqualified for and they can't even get in the door for this, even though they're willing to they're willing to work for a lot less than they may just because they want to work or if the job's got benefits or whatever and they just can't get in the door. And I think there is a lot of ageism that, that's going on, and I, it's very, very difficult to prove, and it's against the law to discriminate against people based on age. But I, I think there is an element 
to that. Jeff, if people wanted to work, they'd be out accepting these nice jobs now before they all go away when the money runs out. See, that's that is that's kind of the element. You always you always want to get off the train before you're pushed off the train. And so this is one of these things that and it's it's tough to tell when this is going to happen. But when the gravy train finally ends in states like Wisconsin, because these unemployment benefits, these supplemental ones, they're not going to go on forever. So, you know, whether it's this week or next week or two months from now, finally, they're going to end. And people are going to be in a position of saying, "Okay, well, now it doesn't. I don't make more sitting on my butt at home than I do going to work. And so then they're going to have to try to find jobs. The question is going to be six, you know, 60 days from now, 90 days from now in Wisconsin, are these bonuses still going to be there when I believe a lot of people are finally going to be at the stage where, okay, it's time to get off the dole. We have to go back to work. And I, I don't claim to know the answer to it, but it'll be, you know, it'll be very, very difficult to do this. Jeff, um, I'm in my 50s. I have a salaried, uh, I have a solid previous work history, and I'm interested in returning to work, but in order for me to go back, I have to make at least $20 an hour so that I can afford to pay for benefits and expenses for my children's mortgage insurance, etc. Um, please tell me where Dave is hiring. Well, that's, you know, it is an idea of trying to connect these different um jobs. Um, Jeff, during your news, they talk about $4 million to help people find jobs. Well, that that's that's good. That's good, I guess. But I, I don't know. And look, I, I don't know how they're going to spend the dough. But I mean, one thing that you would say to Mayor Barrett is, you know, do, you know, if, if people want to work, it's not hard to find different help wanted jobs that are out there. Matter of fact, in some industries, pretty much everybody everywhere is hiring um you know no question about it um so i guess here's the the point that i was trying to make on this whole thing employers are desperate for workers right now they are doing unprecedented things including offering all these hiring bonuses and things like that and they're still not getting able able to get people to bite on this if you're somebody who has been sitting on the sidelines because there's not enough of a financial incentive for you to go back to work. I think part of the message is you might want to start thinking about this now because if you wait to September, if you wait till October, if you wait till you're, you have to go back to work because now you're not getting enough on the government dole, you might find that some of these, these deals that are being offered, that they have now gone away. So it, timing is everything. doesn't matter whether you're investing in the stock market or – I don't know, just trying to do, you know, almost anything. Timing timing is important. Right now, when it comes to the job search, clearly the, the power, as it were, more so perhaps any time in the last, you know, couple decades, the power is in the job seekers as opposed to the employers, particularly for some of the entry-level workers. That might not be the case, and that, that might not be the case even 60 to 90 days from now. So for people who are sitting on the sidelines, you know, you, you might want to say, okay, it's it's time to get back into the workforce. It's time to sign up for that $1,000 bonus. It's time to, you know, get the job when they're offering me twelve fifty an hour because three months from now or six months from now, that signing bonus might be gone and the twelve fifty an hour might be gone. And this is Jeff Wagner. So glad to have you with us. Here's a text. Jeff, 
Our government has created a culture of freebies, and that is what people today are expecting. And as long as we have that culture that there's free money, um, you know, people are simply not going to choose to work. I, I hope that that is incorrect. But I understand that that sentiment as we get more into the the entitlements and we do more and more and more to create a, a state where the government takes care of people through the other people's taxes because there is no free money. I mean, the money always comes from someplace. The more you create a, a disincentive for people to work, the, the more likely people are to not work, including not working at some of the jobs that might be what we would describe as, as less attractive. It, it's a huge problem. It's definitely the direction we're going. The question is, can we turn it all around? All right, when we come back after the news, I want to go where angels fear to tread. Anthony Fauci, some people think he's a hero. Some people think he's a villain. I just think it's time for him to ride off into the sunset. I'll explain. We'll discuss. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. So Mike Spaulding, Greg Matzik's been doing an outstanding job. He was in Phoenix and covering like the NBA Finals and the Brewers and stuff. So I'm inclined to cut him some slack. But can we correct something he had wrong during the uh, broadcast? Yeah, it's not me. So uh, yeah. Re- yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> well, no, the Brewers, actually, he said they're back in action on Thursday night. They're not. Actually, they don't start till Friday night. Correct. It's a three-game series against Cincinnati. Um, uh, I was at... I was at the game on Friday night, and they they ended up losing two to nothing. Former Brewers pitcher Wade Miley pitched the game, and 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 I, I don't want the Brewers deserve to lose, and there, there's no question about it. So I, I don't want to blame this on the umpiring, but I I watched. I was at the game on Friday, and I watched a good portion of the game on Saturday. I'm amazed at how bad the umpiring is in in Major League Baseball. Just awful. Does it seem worse this year than years past? Because I have watched a handful of more than a handful of games, and it just seems worse than before. I don't know if TVs are better or what it is, but awful. I mean, I I don't know. I mean, but it's also it's also umpires that are are trying to more so than ever like put themselves in the middle of the game and make go out of their way to make bizarre calls that don't. That don't affect the that, that really don't affect the outcome. You saw that Saturday night where um, Yelich ended up being tossed because mm-hmm. the umpire said he he flinched and indicated he might be trying to go to second. You, n- nobody thinks that. Um, there there was a bizarre interference call that they made on on Friday night. The the ball and strike calls consistently wrong. I, it's just. And again, I don't, I don't want this to be sour grapes. The Brewers deserve to lose on, on Friday night. It was, they had an outstanding pitched game against them and they lost on Saturday because, you know, they gave up a couple big home runs. But, you know, day in, day out, the umpiring is awful. Just absolutely awful. And you wonder how Major League Baseball lets it go. You, you could have gotten rid of that umpiring crew over the weekend and brought in some people from high schools. And I'm convinced they could not have done a worse job. No, I'm with you. I'm with you. I don't know why. I think social media makes it worse because, oh, I don't know how you watch the game, but I, I'm on Twitter while I'm watching the game. Okay, yeah. And for every, you know, MLB tweet stuff out or of like the strike zone, the automated strike zone and stuff. And it just makes it look so much worse. And I get it. It's got to be hard, but you're right. It, it's bad. It, it's just, it, 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 it's just bad. And it's, and it's getting, it's just flat out getting worse. I, I mean, I'm a big advocate of, of going to the, 
the um, again the computerized strike zone. Me I too. Just, I, just because then at least you've got some degree of consistency. Um, but and then you've got some of these umpires that just have short fuses who are are bad. And they're thin-skinned on top of being bad, yeah. which is just amazing. <laughs> so I, and again, I, I don't want people hearing this to think that I'm – I mean, the, the Brewers deserve to lose Friday and Saturday night. I mean, the, so I'm not blaming the umpires for it. But, you know, there's a lot of money that's involved. These people are – you know, fans are very invested in this. And when you have the umpires that are kind of taking control of the game – okay, that's my vent for the moment. It is bad, 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 bad. And the, the umpiring, the ball and strike calls on Friday were awful. Some of the other stuff on Saturday was just – Awful. All right. I, I'm, I got that on my system. All right. Anthony Fauci. Uh, Fauci is is constantly in the news because he is constantly on TV. I, I've, I've said this. He's um, I, I think he would have done well over the over the last year and a half to recognize that Every time a TV station calls or a radio station calls or a newspaper reporter calls, you, you don't you don't have to drop everything and do interviews. I, I think he has been very, very overexposed. And as a result, in many cases, he becomes the story instead of whatever he's talking about. He's also over the over the last year and a half, in my opinion, he's been extremely inconsistent. And I understand I understand that science changes. I, I get it. I understand in the beginning they thought you shouldn't wear masks, and so everybody said don't wear masks. And then because they found out that COVID was being spread by airborne particles, they, they changed the advice. And, and I get it. You have to constantly be able to adapt. The problem with Anthony Fauci is because he's doing interviews, it seems like on a daily basis, he ends up giving inconsistent advice. He'll say one thing on a Wednesday and then another thing on a Friday or a Saturday. And you say, okay, the the science hasn't changed in three or four days. And so you you have that going on. Well, you know, he was back making another round of appearances over, over the weekend, also injecting himself in, in the area of politics which I think creates more issues. Like, for example, you know, he was he was doing interviews. Uh, he was on CNN State of the Union on Sunday, where he he says that um, even though he doesn't think that there should be federal uh, mandates on vaccines, he says um, I, I think there should be mandates on the local level. There there really should be. We're talking about life and death situations. So um yes, I, I am I am in favor of this. So he, he's now out saying that well I don't think the federal government should mandate vaccines. I think local governments in some cases should end up um mandating vaccines. He said, you know, and in particular, why are we having red states and places in the South that are highly ideological in one way, not wanting to get the vaccinations? And then then he goes on and then he gets upset because um, like over over the weekend, there was um, CPAC, which is the Conservative Political Action Conference. And, um, you know, people were talking about how they opposed vaccine mandates. And so that got Fauci upset. And, you know, he's he's then you know, denouncing people who don't think there should be the mandates. He's gotten into the politics. I don't think he's a bad guy. I, I, I don't. I think he's very, very, I think he's very, very smart, at least as far as infectious diseases and things of the like. But every once in a while, you reach a point where the messenger becomes so controversial that the message can no longer get out. 
And candidly, I think Anthony Fauci is one of those guys that is in that situation. He has become such a lightning rod for these things, some of which is not his own his fault, but others of it are. And it seems to me he's getting more shrill over the course of time. And the more he keeps making these appearances and the more he starts, uh, again, trying to, you know, denounce different political ideologies, the more he starts injecting himself, not just in, okay, here's what the medical facts are, but yeah, I, I think we need to have vaccine mandates on a local level and things like that. The more he does that, the more the message is lost. Okay, our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. I, I When I was originally thinking about doing this topic, I, w- I was going to ask the question, hero or villain? I, I don't think that that's the appropriate question. I think the better question is, is it time for him to step down, step back, move on? 855-616-1620. That's the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. What do you think? We discuss in just a moment. This is Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. 855-616-1620, which is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. When it comes to Anthony Fauci, I I don't think it's fair to say hero or villain. I I think it is fair to say, is he past his shelf life? Has his his notoriety or or fame, has he been overexposed? And is that defeating the message? Jeff, who could possibly believe anything Fauci says anymore? He's a complete liar and is responsible for a lot of the problems related to the virus. I think he should be locked up. Well, I don't agree with that. Um, Jeff, Fauci is an ordinary career bureaucrat, finally, that was thrust into the limelight by extraordinary events, and he has reveled in his notoriety. Far from being the nation's foremost epidemiologist, Dr. Science has changed his mind more often than people change their underwear. Time for his star to fade. Jeff, I'm tired of seeing him on TV with the continuing discrepancies in his recommendations. He can rarely give any scientific data to support his changing mind and his recommendations. He's getting more and more involved in political aspects rather than sticking to the medical issue at hand. I, I think that that last thing is is definitely is definitely the case, whether it's by intention or just because he, he doesn't he's sick of being criticized by people on the right. I think that is definitely um, happening. Uh, Jeff, Anthony Fauci is revered by Joe Biden as politically he is an obvious Democrat, so there's no way Biden will get rid of him. Um, as long as Democrats are in power, we will have Dr. Fauci. Um, I'm not sure he's as smart as you think he is. He's been a government bureaucrat for too long. Um, Jeff, Republicans have made Fauci a lightning rod by attacking him, as you have been doing for over a year. No, I've been, I think, very, very fair to uh, Anthony Fauci. And again, I... I, I've I've ex- I've been willing to understand that things change. I have been saying this for a while, though. I think he's way overexposed, and and I think when you you come out, you know, every three days you're doing some news conference and you're saying something different, that that creates a situation where your credibility becomes at issue. And, and yeah, I I think I think. If he were to take a lower profile, it would be better. But I'm not sure he's capable of taking a lower profile. Jonathan in Chicago, you're at WTMJ. Good afternoon. Uh, good afternoon. Um, I think he is a little overexposed. Um, he is brought in front of Congress a lot also, other than the talk show circuit, and testifies a lot. But that being said, my ultimate test is kind of a cost-benefit analysis for him. And that is, does the benefit that he triggers or generates 
outweigh the potential cost of some political sniping or whatever he's doing. And I think in the long run, it does, he does. In addition, I think, you know, he's, he was involved in the whole AIDS epidemic for mm-hmm. decades. So I think he brings a lot of, I think he's a valuable asset. And the question is, is he going to, you know, generate more good than harm? And I think he probably will. I guess it, my kind of simple task. Well, no, and I, and, and I understand. That's why I, I don't want to phrase it as hero or villain. I, I do think, yeah. I, I think he is becoming, for better or worse, he's, he's becoming the face of where we are in the, the war against COVID right now. And I, I think he, he's become polarizing. And, and maybe that's not, I, I think he has some blame for that. I think, you know, maybe sometimes it's people, you know, who don't want to hear the message that have blame for it. I just seriously wonder whether, whether it's time for another messenger for these things, because I think there's a lot of people looking at Anthony Fauci when he's on TV and go, oh, OK, here here he is. We we don't want to hear what he has to say because we, we can't get past, you know, the, the last year and a half. Yeah, there was another messenger that was Deborah Burks. Yeah. I, don't, I mean, and, she, you know, but at any rate. Yeah, no, th- thanks. Thank Again, I, I, I don't I that's why th- this isn't a oh, this guy, this guy has been terrible. I. It, it do it, it see there is a certain point where you you outlive your your shelf life and I think without regard to the merit of it and again I I think I think Anthony Fauci shares some of the blame for this because he has been at least in my opinion grossly overexposed and it's been inconsistent he is somewhat thin skinned or at least he's now appears to me to be thin skinned and he he's not liking the criticism he's getting. But at the same time, you, when you weigh into politics, what do you think? When you go on CNN and argue that, okay, well, I, while I don't, I, I don't want a federal vaccine, vaccine mandate, I think local government should do that. Okay, well, that's, that, that, that is as much a political statement as it is a medical sort of statement and it's also because you know joe biden your boss has already come out and said he's not going to do a federal vaccination thing so now you say you're going to do it on the local level well okay what what do you expect when you're suggesting that okay people in red states and people in um you know the, the south where the vaccination rates are lower, there should be mandatory vaccinations. And then, of course, it raises other questions about, okay, well, how do you feel about people in blue states, but in heavily minority communities where, you know, the, the, the number of vaccinations, you know, in, in certain communities where you have lots of people of color, where that, that's lagging the overall vaccination rate. Well, do you think that there should be mandatory vaccinations there? I'm just saying when you open this door and you start Okay, under the guise of medicine, you start opining on on what you think you know the politics should be. You you create issues for yourself, and you become a polarizing figure. I don't think he's uh, necessarily a villain. I don't know that I'm convinced that he's he's a hero, and some of this problem is not of his own making. But at the same time, candidly, I I think I think for people who want to get out of this pandemic and people who want to try to convince folks to get the vaccines and things like that, I, I think I think the government needs to start looking to other spokespeople because maybe Anthony Fauci's time ha- has jumped the shark. And it's not saying he's an evil person at all. It's just saying, okay, maybe it's time to get off the stage. When we come back, we'll find out what's on, what is on John McCure's mind.